Let's pray. Father, as we come today, many of us here need a shelter with you. Many of us need a shelter with you, and we have our hidden reasons, secrets that nobody knows about, but we come here today saying, God, can you protect me? Can you defend me? Can you watch out for me? So I pray, God, today for those today that need a rescue and they need a safe place and they need a harbor for their heart, for their mind, for the worries of the future, for their finances, for their relationships. God, I pray that today you would remind us again that anybody who takes shelter in the shadow of the Almighty will find safety and rescue. God, I pray that today we would be encouraged and reminded that it is a normal thing in the Christian life to call and say, God alone will be my refuge. The Christian life is not a call to have it all together, but God, our hearts tell us that we should have it all together and that we need to be our own safe place. So God, I pray today for those that are here whose relationships are falling apart. God, I pray for those today who have uh, worries about what's coming. What is the, the next doctor visit going to reveal? What is the next, um, what is the next uh, uh, bill going to show? God, I pray that today that you would call to us and say, make me your refuge. Make me your safe place. God, I pray that you would remind us that you have saved us in the past, that you have saved your people and been a refuge for your people throughout history. And so you've promised that you'll do it again, that you'll not leave us alone, that you'll not forget us, that you'll not turn, and turn your ear away from our, our requests and our prayers. I pray that, God, that today would be a day again for us to find safety and to find refuge. God, we have a number of people in our church that are sick and in the hospital that are battling cancer, that have upcoming surgeries, some we know about, some that, are, some that they've told nobody. God, I pray for those that are wondering what's going to come this next week. God, I pray that you would increase their faith. Lord, I pray that you would give them a, a deeper and deeper desire to walk with you. I pray that you would give them a belief that there is grace for them even in the middle of the hardship, even in the middle of whatever happens at the hospital or with the doctor. God, I pray that you would remind us that you have grace for us even in hard places. I pray, God, today that you would uh, remind us that you are not surprised by our circumstances, but that you have promised that you will use them for our good, that you, uh, that you promise that in the middle of them you will not abandon us or forsake us. God, I pray for those today in our church as we have been learning about what your word says about our home life and our relationships with our brothers and sisters, with our parents, with our siblings and with our kids. God, I pray that you would, for those that feel beaten down, and feel regret over the, the years, that wonder how could we make these right, these relationships right? How could we get out of this mess that we are in? God, I pray that you would show us today again that you, that you can in your mercy, can transform our messes into glorious things. That you promise that even in those, that you, that you want to work for our good and through us to show mercy to our families. God, I pray for our church that you would help us to be a church that craves you and your word, that we would crave the pure spiritual milk of the word, 
that, we, that there's nothing that would satisfy us more than what you have to give us. Your word tells us that it is what we, that desiring more that you've called us to. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that, that we would be people like that. God, I pray for the churches uh, along the southern end of our county. I pray for the churches in Alsley and the churches in Glasgow and the, the needs that we have in each of these towns, the places that are big enough to have bars and big enough to have gathering spots. And God, I pray that you would raise up people to uh, crave your word, to crave your, the good news of your gospel, and through that, to share the goodness of God with the people living uh, on this end of our county. God, I pray that you would remind us that we're not alone, that you love the people here far more than we do, and that through us, Lord, that you would show your rescue mission to Scott County, Illinois. God, I pray all of these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever had somebody come to you with a problem, and they like lay out all of the problems, and you eventually, uh, several minutes later, go, okay, what do you want me to do about it? You know, like, sometimes it might be a boss, it might be a coworker, somebody co could be a child, comes to you and says, well, there's all of this stuff that's wrong. And eventually you just go, but what do you want me to do with it? I'm, I tend to be the kind of practical person who's like, okay, it's nice for you to tell me what I should think. You should, it's nice for you to tell me maybe that there's a problem in the world, but what do I do about it? We've been walking in this series called Hope, Good News for Every Home, which is about how God's word applies to every area of our life, including our home life. Whether you're single or married, young or old, kids or none, the Bible has good news for all of us. And so we've been walking through Genesis and Deuteronomy and Proverbs and Ephesians, but they weren't necessarily practical passages. They weren't the passages that you think of that says, do this, do this, do this. Here's the rundown. Here's your list of things to do. Well, today we're going to be going to Ephesians chapter 6. So go ahead and turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 6, where the Bible gets really practical in our home life. This is, okay, this is, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to live in my home? This is where God's word gets really practical for us and then begins to rub up against us where we are really at, how we really live in our homes. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 to 6. I'm sorry, I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, I pray that you would help us to hear what you have to say to us and that we would begin to live our entire lives in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. This, uh, these verses really fit into the context of God telling us about relationships in our homes and in the church and in the world. And what I want to show you today from these verses is that this passage calls us to submit to Christ in our homes. 
submit to Christ in our homes. That is what it means to relate in our homes. We go, okay, well, what does it practically mean to live out Genesis 1 at home? What does it practically mean to live out uh, Deuteronomy and Proverbs and Ephesians chapter 2 with our brothers and sisters? What what do we do? Ephesians chapter 6 is going to tell us that, that practically living in our home looks like submitting to Christ in our homes. I want to show you three ways that we do that. It's three ways that we submit to Christ in our homes. First, we bow to Christ in our place. We bow to Christ in our, our place. I want you to notice that verses 1 to 3, children, says children obey your parents in the Lord. You go, yes, that's it. That's like the guy at Home Depot I told you about last week uh, who wanted to tell me about parenting while I was shopping for screws. This is the verse that we we're, we latch on to and, and we're a little bit better, but I want you to notice the verses above it. And not just the ones above it that talk to husbands, the paragraph above that that talks about wives in ver- five, chapter 5, verse 22. But I want you to look at ver- chapter 5, verse 21. The, there's actually one command in this section of Ephesians. And it applies to women, wives, to husbands, to children. It, is, it applies to masters and slaves it it uh, applies to the entire like all of the relationships that a christian might have come under this one heading in verse 21 this says submit to one another out of reverence for christ submit to one another out of reverence for christ and so in the context of ephesians where he's telling the people this is how to walk as the wise submission because of christ is what it means to live out uh, our relationships in our families. That is the, the overall thing that applies to men and women, husbands and wives. It applies to children, whether they're young or old, because we still t- we're still sons and daughters as we age. The thing that applies to work relationships, relationships in the church, every relationship is colored by this one thing, Our reverence for Christ means that we cultivate submission wherever God has put us. Because we're actually not submitting simply to a person. We're submitting and bowing ourselves to Jesus. I want to show you how that shows up in verses 1 to 3. It says, children, obey your parents. Not just obey your parents because this is a good thing and this is a cultural thing. This is, but obey your parents in the Lord. He is here rooting and grounding the relationship between a child and his parents, just as he has done between a husband and his wife, and just as he has done between a wife and her husband, and just as he's going to do in a minute between fathers and their children. The relationship between children and parents, the relationship that all of us have, is ultimately a relationship with God and with Christ, not simply with people. You see, anybody around us could say, children, obey your parents. Most cultures throughout history have said, children, obey your parents. This is a normal attitude. But here, God grounds it in a vertical relationship. Our relationship with God is the grounds for obedience. Our relationship with God is the grounds for a husband to sacrifice and love his wife lay down his life for his wife. A relationship with Christ is the reason that that a wife would say, okay, I can joyfully submit to my husband. A relationship between a father and Christ is the thing that grounds why a a Christian father is different than a non-Christian father. 
All of this is grounded here. Obey your parents in the Lord. That all of us are called, wherever God has put us, is to bow our knees to Christ and say, God, you have you are the one who has put me here and given these people to me in a relationship. God, you're the one who's actually the Lord over my brother and sister. So I'm going to bow my knees to you before I relate to them. Paul David Tripp, he, point, he regularly comments regarding marriage, but I think it applies to everything, is that marriages are fixed vertically before they're fixed horizontally. That our relationships with our children are fixed vertically before they're fixed horizontally. When we begin to say, God, I love you and I will bow to you. Relationships between fathers and children are fixed vertically before they're fixed horizontally because the father says, I am not the one in charge here. God is the one in charge here. And I am just representing him. Here he says, this is the command to children with a promise. Honor your father and mother. This is a first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And so in our homes, we have to begin modeling and teaching that submission is, and obedience is the normal way out of our love for Jesus. It's because we love Jesus. That's why. Why does, why does dad not get everything that he wants? Why does a husband not get everything that he wants? Why does a brother or sister not get everything that they want? Why? It's because we are bowing our knees before Jesus. Authority and obedience is something that God has called all of us to. And so we begin teaching it and then modeling it in our homes. You see, I believe that Satan wants all of us to be our own authority. Because that is the, that's the very crisis in the Garden of Eden. That He comes to Eve and says that God didn't really say, didn't really mean, God's not really the one who should be in charge here because He's holding out on you. Eve, do what you want to do. And so in our homes, we are, each one of us, tempted to raise ourselves up to be our own authority. To be our own authority in our marriage. We're the ones that tempted to be an authority over our brothers and sisters that we're estranged from. We're the ones that are tempted to be in authority over our kids, and we begin to say, I am king here. You will do what I want you to do. And so, this passage comes and exposes Satan's lie. Satan is the one who says, hey, this is how it may go well with you, and so you can have a long life on the earth. Eat this fruit. Take your own authority. And God says, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. I'm reminded the low point of the, one of the low points of the Bible is the book of Judges, filled with gross stories about the things that Israel did to each other, things that they allowed to happen in their cities and in their homes. But throughout the book of Judges, throughout the book of Judges, every time you feel like you've reached a new low, it says everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so nothing was forbidden when they were doing what they wanted to do. And here in this passage, God calls to us, no matter what our station in life is, no matter what the relationship we have with others is, it's to actually begin to look at our lives and submit to Christ's authority. And say, as for me, I'm going to bow my knees to, knee to Jesus. If my parents do what I don't think they should do, I am going to bow my knees to Jesus. If my siblings and I have a broken relationship, 
and I think well, we should do this and this and this and this, I'm going to bow my knees to Jesus. It doesn't matter what I think. This passage calls all of us first to bow to Christ wherever He has put you. Second, second way do we submit to Christ in our homes is we submit to Christ by not making children bitter. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, beginning of it. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Your translation might say, do not make your children bitter. Another way of putting it would be, don't provoke your children to anger. Because God's Word doesn't command things that are normal, that means that exasperating and angering and embittering children is the normal way that fathers parent in the flesh. This wouldn't be a command if this was natural to us. Maybe you don't think about your own life. We won't get that personal just yet. But think about the world that we live in and how many people whose deepest wounds are from dad. Because what dad did, what dad didn't do, what dad said. Think about all of the people you know whose deepest wounds are because dad left or was never there to begin with. This command is here because the world 2,000 years ago and the, year, the, the world of 1950 and the world of 2000 and the world of 2023, fathers will be tempted moment by moment to make their children bitter. Push them to the edge. Because it's so easy to abuse authority. There's a short season of life where dad is bigger and stronger and has the the wallet. There is a season of life where dad has the power and it is so easy to abuse authority. And so Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. God comes and says, do not make your children angry. Do not exasperate them. Do not push them to the edge. And so what I wonder as we go through this passage is do we care as much about this command as we do verse 1? As fathers, do we care as much about obeying Christ in not exasperating and making our children angry as we do about our kids obeying us? You see, in my experience, that's not been the case. In my experience, most of the time, I point out the laws that everybody else isn't keeping instead of looking at the mirror God is holding up and says, and says, Take the plank out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your wife's eye, your kid's eye, your brother's eye. This passage says, fathers, your children and their response is your responsibility. I think undergirding all of this, God is calling fathers to treat their children as equals in God's sight and begin to say, I am responsible in how I treat my family. And I submit to Christ by caring about them as equals in the sight of God. One of my heroes is a man a few hundred years ago named Anthony Ashley Cooper. And uh, he, when his dad died, inherited all this land and all the people who lived on it. They weren't quite slaves, but they, like, they lived there and worked for him and they, they shared their income with him and he... Uh, and when he inherited all of this land and the town that lived in it and the church that, that was placed there, 
he did something that was quite rare at the time, and he held a ceremony where he said, now I am called to serve you, and you are called to serve me. We are called to, ins- to be responsible and to care for each other. That was completely countercultural at the time because at the time, those in power lorded it over those under them and said, I'm the one with the money, I'm the one with the land, I'm the one with the rights, I'm the one with the government on my side. I get to do what I want. But Anthony Ashley Cooper said, no, if God has given me this responsibility, then I am going to be responsible to love you and to care for you. And to, I am going to be the one who doesn't just demand from you, but I'm the one who's supposed to be here to give and to steward for your good, not just my own. I'm reminded of his story because how often as fathers do we think that God gave our kids to us so that we could say, God, we've taken care of that which belongs to you. God, we've taken care of your kids for the time that you gave them to us. We've not made them bitter. We've not demanded too much from them. God, we've not ignored them. God, we've taught them by our actions and our words to submit to you in our relationships with others. Or have we just taught our kids, get your own, do what you want. When you're the boss and you're the one in power, then you get to rule the house. But as long as I'm the one in charge, I rule. The question I think for us as fathers is to look in the mirror and say, God, am I unreasonable? God, am I inattentive? God, am I unkind? God, am I harsh? God, am I demanding? Or am I bowed moment by moment with my knee before you and saying, God, I will submit to you in how I treat and in how my children grow up? The third way that we submit to Christ in our homes is we submit to Christ by training and instructing. I want you to notice the end of verse 4. Instead. So the world around us exasperates children. That's, that's the command here. The world around us com- exasperates children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The, that, the word that he's using here is nourish and nurture. The world around you exasperates children. I don't care what the books say or the videos say. or the I don't care... I don't care what you see on social media. The world around us exasperates children. But instead, Christians should bring them up in the training and instruction. Not of the generations before them. Not the traditions of those around them. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is not just a word for food. This nourish and nurture. But it is a call to nurture in our children what it means To live before the Lord. This means of the Lord. It means that there is very non-Christian ways of raising children. There are lots of ways that our training instruction in having a successful life, in getting a good job, in carrying on the legacy of the generations before us. But God says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And so this passage says we don't get to shirk that duty. We don't get to just ignore it and go, oh, it is somebody else can do it. This is our job. If, we're, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a great-grandparent, the kind of influence that God has given us, are we shepherding and stewarding our kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids so that they know and love the Lord and follow in the Lord's ways or so that they fulfill our desires, so that they make us look good, so that they behave well and get good jobs and have families? You see, the motivation 
raise them up in the training and bring them up in the training and instruction of successful living, of being good workers, of being good citizens? Or are we bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord? This is one that's so easy to get so busy in the, the years when kids are small to just be trying to get baths done, get clothes on, get them to get them to this practice and get them to this get them to this dance, get them from this place to this place to this place. It's so easy to be caught up in getting things done. But God calls us to nourish and raise them and nurture them in the Lord. One of the things uh, I've learned in gardening is I used to spend all my time and attention on the leaves. And I think leaves are miraculous. The fact that they capture sunlight from a distant star, you know, however far away, and turn it into like sugars and then it grows. I think it's incredible. But I used to spend all this time pruning and staking and doing all sorts of things to make sure that the leaves were right. Because that's all that I could see. But one of the things that I've learned is that that the leaves tend to take care of themselves if they have good soil to grow in. If the soil has the things that it needs, then the roots are where the, the real action is. And so most of my attention should be on feeding and developing and nourishing the plants by caring for the soil. I think I heard somebody say at one time that he was like, I'm not a, a plant farmer, I'm a, I'm a soil farmer. I develop the soil and the soil feeds the plants and the plants feed me. And so I began, as I over the years, begun to pay more and more attention to what's going on here. Let's spend as much time and attention in September, October, and November feeding the soil so that come April and May, things are going to grow in it. I learned that if we nourish the soil, then the plants are fed. But if I just focus on trying to make sure the leaves look good, then the plant's going to go nowhere. I think in the same way, it's so easy for us as parents to spend all of our time and energy, me above all people, trying to make sure that the outward stuff looks right. That the leaves of our children's lives are pruned correctly. That they do things at the right time and, and in just the right way, the way that I want it done. When God says, are you nourishing their soul by raising them in the training and instruction of the Lord? Or are you just making sure that they get things done so that you look good when your in-laws come into town? Are you just getting things done on the outside so that your friends and coworkers think they have it all together at their house? Or do we bring our kids up in the training and instruction that takes time, but it's the kind of nourishing of their souls that God has called me to? I think the question this leaves us with is, what, what do my kids need right now? If you're a father in particular, this is the passage. It says, in submission to Christ, what do my kids need right now? Is it simply food and clothes? Is it simply the discipline to make sure they obey in just the right way, but their hearts are far from the Lord and they're far from me, and as soon as I don't have the strength and power to make them obey, they won't do it anymore? Or am I feeding and cultivating their hearts so that they love the Lord? This passage calls us practically to begin to submit to Christ in our home. Bow to Christ in your place, wherever God has put you, and say, God, I am going to love you and I'm going to serve you here. 
This passage calls us to begin to, su- to submit to Christ by not making our children bitter. And it calls us to submit to Christ by training and instructing in the Lord. I want to ask, how, how are you doing in submission to Christ? How, how well are you, if God were to look and say, yes, you have constantly bowed your knee to me, regardless of what your boss says or your spouse says, you have followed and loved and worshipped me even when it cost you great cost. How are you doing in submission to Christ? How well have you done at not making your children exasperated and bitter? If you look back at your life, you look back maybe at your parenting if it was a long time ago, how well have you done at not making your children exasperated and bitter? How well have you done at raising your kids in the training and discipline of the Lord? What if you're like me and you realize that your record is awful? What if you look at this passage and you say, God, who could save me? What if this passage condemns you? What if you haven't submitted to Christ in your home life? Where is the good news for you? Don't sweep it away. Sit with it. Because this passage is good news for us who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus knows what it's like to submit to sinful parents, to honor them and obey them when he's right. Jesus knows what it's like to lead and care for hard-hearted sinners who don't get it. And he did it perfectly. Philippians 2 says that though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself a servant, obedient to the point of death. And that is your record if you're in Christ. So if you look back on the years and you say, God, there's so much I would do differently if I could. God in Christ looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Today, if you're, if you're here and you're in Christ, you have the record, identity, and power from Jesus to live in our families in ways that we've never done or could do on our own. If you look at your relationship with your brother and you say, it couldn't be worse you have the record, identity, and power from Jesus to submit to His Christ while you try to figure out how to love and serve your brother. If your parents are far from Christ, were demanding and exasperating, you say, God, how do I obey and honor them? This passage says that if you're in Christ, you have the record and identity and power from Jesus to live in that home, not based on their record, but on Jesus. But if you're not in Christ, then here you come to this passage and this passage condemns you. And you say, Joe, how can I be saved? Joe, I have made my children bitter. I have not brought them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I haven't loved God and submitted and bowed before Him. Joe, how could somebody like me be saved? The Bible tells us that the point that you're at is the point that all of us are at. The Bible tells us that God made the world and He made it good and He put Adam and Eve in it. And He gave them one rule. And then Adam and Eve disobeyed God saying, we will not bow to you. And you and I too have said, we will not bow before you. We will not honor you. We will not love you. We will not serve you. Let us go our own way. The Bible calls that sin and says that the wages of sin is Physical death in this life and eternal death in hell forever. 
But instead of the Bible stopping there with God's condemnation, the story of the Bible is God promising and promising and promising to fix it. And then in the God-man Jesus, Jesus came and lived the life that we should live under the law of God and the rule of God. And then He died the death we should have died, cursed by God's law. And then was raised to life so that He can offer forgiveness and welcome to all who repent of sin and trust in Jesus. And so if you're here today and you hear that and you say, Joe, I know that I'm a sinner. Can God save me? The answer is yes. Look at Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Go to Jesus. If you have questions about that or you want to make that public today, come grab me when we sing at the end of the service. Grab me in the hallway. Let today be the day of salvation. Stop trying to live life on your own and instead bow to Christ and accept His life and forgiveness and hope. So this passage, it calls to you and I today to submit to Christ in our homes. And if you're in Christ, you get to do that in the record and power of Christ. You don't have to wait until your husband obeys. You don't have to wait until your wife obeys. You don't have to wait until your dad obeys. You can submit to Christ in your home in the record and power of Jesus. You can love and nurture and raise your kids in the power of Jesus. I want you to imagine with me what might change if a person, parents in that, Think of all the bitter people you know whose dads hurt them. Think of all the the angry people whose family members have cut them off and shut them out forever. Imagine what might change in your home in the record and power of Jesus when you have this kind of restored and nurtured kind of relationship. There's not exasperated, bitter people turning against each other, but in the record and power of Jesus. You can like love and nurture your kids. Imagine what changes in your, your own relationship with your maybe your parent, aging parent, as you go, okay, God, you've called me to obey and honor my parents, even in this. And I get to do it in the record and power of Jesus. I don't have to do this on my own anymore. I get to do it because I love Jesus. And because I know he's the one that's in charge, not him, not her. And I think that that's a, a different kind of home, a home where Jesus is the king. Let's pray. God, as we as we hear from your word, I thank you that you demand something we've never been able to do, and then you come and give it to us. I pray, God, that you would change and transform our homes and our relationships. I pray that with this truth, you would set us free. Free with our parents, free with our siblings, free with our spouse, free with our kids. I pray that we would be good news kind of homes. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the deacons to come now. As I said at the beginning of the service, we celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each quarter. The Lord's Supper is one of the two ordinances of the church. Jesus tells us to do this remembering Him, in remembrance of Him. We remember Jesus' life and His death in our place. And so communion becomes a time for us to remember, to be reminded of whose we are, reminded of the fact that our sins are forgiven. I mentioned this at the beginning of the service, but we celebrate open communion. So if you are not a member of our church, but you have repented of your sins, and trusted in Jesus only to save you, then you're welcome to take communion with us. What we're going to do is we're going to pass the plate, and you can take a little double cup 
um, little two cups together. The, the lower cup has a little wafer and the upper cup has the, the juice. And so you can take both of those and we're going to read scripture together and we're going to pray together and then we're going to take each of them together in turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, helps us understand what it is we're, that we're doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 says, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want you to, I want you to notice that he says to do this in remembrance of me, but there's two elements there. We do this remembering Jesus' death in our place, but we also do it declaring that one day we will eat this with him. This isn't just remembering forever. There will come a day where we're not remembering anymore, and instead we get to do this with him at his house, at his table. That's the day Revelation tells us he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's the day that all the, the, all the sad things are going to come untrue. All those things are going to be wiped away so that one day the aches and pains and the fears and the temptation and the guilt and the shame, all of those things are gone. And so today as we do this, let's do this remembering and also looking forward together. Go ahead and hold the cups, maybe separate them. First, we take the bread together. John 6.58 says, This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I want you to notice Jesus didn't say, Those, whoever feeds on this bread and gives enough money to the church, does enough good deeds in their life, does all of these different things. He doesn't come up with a list. He says, whoever, whoever feeds on me, whoever comes to me will live forever. And so as we do this, let's be reminded that this is a promise from Jesus that he will bring us to be with him forever. Simply because we have repented and trusted him. Because we've taken Jesus. Let's eat and remember. Go ahead and hold the cup. Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This reminds us that our sins are forgiven. I don't know if you came in here today weighed down with shame and regret. Maybe you came to church arguing in the car. This week was filled with whatever that is. This cup reminds us that if we are in Christ Jesus, He forgives our sins, cleanses us from all unrighteousness, and makes us new. Let's drink and remember. Let's pray together. Father, your, your word tells us to do this remembering your life, death, and resurrection for us. The fact that we get to be included in the promised people of God 
with a life with you forever, seated at your table, enjoying you, enjoying being with you forever. Forgiveness of sin. This table reminds us that through nothing that we have done, you come and give us everything. God, I pray that you would use that to hold us up this week. Use this, use this truth that we are reminded of to set us free this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one more song.